Greetings. This is Sheila Vance. This is the Becoming Valley Forge podcast, and this is the special edition of the podcast on six days in December. General George Washington and the Continental Army's encampment on Rebel Hill, December 13th to December 19th, 1777. So, I've recorded episodes about the six days. Now, this is the last day. This is the March Out Day. When the army actually leaves Rubble Hill, Valley Fort, um, and uh, Golf Mills, and marches to Valley Ford. So let's just get into it. December 19, 1777. George Washington and the Continental Army march out of Rebel Hill and Golf Mills and on to Valley Forge. On December 7th, excuse me, on December 19, 1777, at 10 a.m., George Washington and his Continental Army marched out of Rebel Hill and Golf Mills, past the Hanging Rock, down Golf Road, and on to Valley Forge. Captured in the writings of the time and iconic paintings, we know that the march to Valley Forge was largely characterized by hardship for Washington's 11,000 soldiers. William Trago, painter of the famous painting, The March to Valley Forge, is said to have been inspired by this character characterization of the march from author Washington Irving's book, Life of Washington. Quote, sad and dreary was the march to Valley Forge, uncheered by the recollection of any recent triumph. Hungry and cold were the poor fellows who had so long been keeping the field. Provisions were scant, clothing was worn out, and so badly were they off for shoes that the footsteps of many might be tracked in blood. That's from the Life of of Washington, Washington Irving, 1856. A soldier in Massachusetts 8th Regiment, Lieutenant Samuel Armstrong wrote, quote, Friday ye 19th, the sun shone out this morning being the first time I had seen it for seven days, which seemed to put new life into everything. We took the remains of two days allowance of beef and two fowls we had left, of these we made a broth upon which we breakfast with half a loaf of bread we begged and bought, of which we should have had made a tolerable breakfast if there had been enough. <clears throat> By 10 o'clock, we had to march to a place called Valley Forge, being about five or six miles. About 11 o'clock, we set out, but did not arrive there till after sunset. During this march, we had nothing to eat nor to drink." End quote. While getting his army on the move, George Washington was prolific with his writings on December 19th. He wrote three letters at the time. One thanked Virginia Patriot Patrick Henry for sending nine wagon loads of supplies for the Virginia troops. Two letters regarded sending soldiers down to Delaware on word of British activity in the area, as well as encouraging patriotic residents of that state to take up arms and support the cause. These were the last three letters that begin headquarters golf mill or the golf in December 1777. One, one letter begins to President George Reed, headquarters golf mill, December 19, 1777. Sir, I have received information which I have great reason to believe is true that the enemy mean to establish a post at Wilmington for the purpose of countenancing the disaffected in the Delaware state, drawing supplies from that country and the lower parts of Chester County, and securing a post upon Delaware River during the winter. As the advantages resulting 
to the enemy from such a position are most obvious, I have determined and shall accordingly this day send off General Smallwood with a respectable Continental Force to take post at Wilmington before them. If General Howe thinks the place of that importance to him, which I conceive it is, he will probably make an attempt to dispossess us of it. And as the force which I can at present spare is not adequate to making it perfectly secure, I expect that you will call out as many militia as you possibly can to rendezvous without loss of time at Wilmington and put themselves under the command of General Smallwood. I shall hope that the people will turn out cheerfully when they consider that they are called upon to remain within and defend their own state. In a letter which I had the honor of receiving from you some little time past, you express a wish that some mode may be fallen upon to procure the exchange of Governor McKinley. As this gentleman will be considered in the civil line, I have not any prisoner of war proper to be proposed for him. The application would go more properly to Congress, who have a number of state prisoners under their direction, for some of whom Sir William Howe would probably exchange the governor. I have the honor, etc. P.S. Let the militia march to Wilmington by companies, or even parts of companies, and form their battalions there, because if the enemy move, it will be quickly. Second letter to Governor Patrick Henry, Camp 14 Miles from Philadelphia, December 19, 1777. Sir, on Saturday evening, I was honored with your favor of the six. Instant and am much obliged by your exertions for clothing the Virginia troops. The articles you send shall be applied to their use, agreeable to your wishes. It will be difficult for me to determine when the troops are supplied, owing to their fluctuating and deficient state at present. However, I believe there will be little reason to suspect that the quantities that may be procured will much exceed the necessary demands. It will be a happy circumstance and of great saving if we should be able in the future to clothe our enemy or excuse me, clothe our army comfortably. Their sufferings hitherto have been great, and from our deficiencies in this instance we have lost many men and have generally been deprived of a large proportion of our force. I could wish you to transmit the price of all the necessaries you may send from time to time. This will be essential, and the omission upon former occasions of the like nature in the course of the war has been the cause of much uneasiness and intricacy in adjusting accounts. I am persuaded that many desertions have proceeded from the cause you mentioned. The officers were highly culpable in making such assurances. The expedient you propose might, and I believe would, bring in several, but I cannot consider myself authorized to adopt it. The letters for the Marquis were sent to his quarters as soon as they were received. I shall present you to him according to your wishes. He is certainly amiable and highly worthy of esteem. I have nothing material to inform you of except that we are told by the Boston paper that a ship has arrived from France at one of the eastern ports with 50 pieces of brass artillery, 5,000 stands of arms, and other stores. There are letters also which mention her arrival, but not the particular amount of the stores. I have the honor, etc. P.S. I sent the express on to Congress, which occasioned me to write by this conveyance. I wrote you on the 13th, although two letters, one a private one. I am fearf fearful and uneasy lest they should have miscarried, as you have not mentioned the receipt of them. <laughs> And the third letter, to Brigadier General William Smallwood, Golf Mill, December 19, 1777. Dear Sir, 
With the provision lately commanded by General Sullivan, you are to march immediately for Wilmington and take post there. You are not to delay a moment in putting a place in the best posture of defense, to do which, and for the security of it afterwards, I have written in urgent terms to the President of the Delaware State to give every aid he possibly can of militia. I have also directed an engineer to attend you for the purpose of constructing and superintending the works, and you will fix with the quartermaster on a number of tools necessary for the business, but do not let any neglect or deficiency on his part impede your operations as you are hereby vested with full power to seize and take, pass and receipt, such articles as are wanted. The commissary and forage master will receive directions respecting your supplies in their way, but I earnestly request that you will see that these supplies are drawn from the country between you and Philadelphia, as it will be depriving the enemy of all chance of getting them, and in this point of view becomes an object to us of importance. I earnestly exhort you to keep both officers and men to their duty, and to avoid furloughs, but in cases of absolute necessity. You will also use your utmost endeavors to collect all the stragglers um, from both brigades. And he says, NCA, period, from both brigades. And you are also to use your best endeavors to get the men clothed in the most comfortable manner you can. You will be particular in your observation of everything passing on the river and will communicate every matter of importance to dear sir etc. So those are the end of the letters that Washington wrote while he was encamped on Rebel Hill and Gulf Mills. And that's the end of the six days in December. So I hope you learned a lot about the historical importance of my little hill, as I call it. So now I'm going to get to my closing thoughts. While the main army left Rebel Hill and the Gulf on December 19th, both places remained outposts for soldiers who could warn the army in Valley Forge if the British decided to approach from Philadelphia. Aaron Burr <clears throat> excuse me, remained at a picket post at the base of Rebel Hill on Gulf Road during the Valley Forge encampment. General Lord Sterling, who was in charge of the Gulf Mills encampment, also commanded an outpost there at some time during the Valley Forge encampment. While there, he stayed on Rebel Hill at the home of Jonathan Reese. Sterling was joined by his aide-de-camp, James Monroe, who went on to become our nation's fifth president. Rebel Hill's role in the Revolutionary War did not end on December 19th. On May 20th, 1778, General Washington and a large force of troops returned to Rebel Hill to provide backup for General Marquis de Lafayette, <clears throat> excuse me, who was engaged in battle with the British in, Con in Conchahokan at the Battle of Barren Hill. <clears throat> excuse me, Conchahokan right across the river, Schuylkill River, from what was re then Rebel Hill. When Lafayette's forces retreated from White Marsh across Madsen's Ford, they retreated to Rebel Hill and its surroundings. Lafayette's forces included a number of Oneida Indians who had joined Washington's army. No wonder my siblings and I found many arrowheads as we played in the Rebel Hill woods. We also found buckshot that was used in muskets at that time. Of course, the Hanging Rock, which is at the bottom of uh, Rebel Hill on Gulf Road, remains a natural landmark of the Rebel Hill Gulf Mills encampment. Hanging Rock jutted far out over Gulf Mills, uh, excuse me, Gulf Road, much farther than it does today. As cars became more popular and needed more room, <clears throat> Hanging Rock became a transportation problem. In 1924, the owner of the rock, J. Arbery Anderson, 
donated it to the Valley Forge Historical Society. The Society placed a plaque on Hanging Rock, noting that Washington and his army passed by it and that it marked the spot of the December 13 to 18 encampment. Stairs were built so people could climb up to the top of the rock to picnic at the small park that was at the rock's top. That was until the SEPTA P&W line was completed and it obliterated the park area. All of us who lived in the area as children remember the school bus stopping every day at Hanging Rock until oncoming traffic stopped. Then the bus would swing out onto the other side of the road and around the rock. Other vehicles weren't so careful or lucky. Some pieces of the rock got knocked off in many truck accidents. In 1995, the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation finally decided to cut down the subject of the rock. In 1997, the Hanging Rock, also called the Overhanging Rock, was added to the National Register of Historic Places. So, thus ends my daily diary of the role that my childhood home on Rebel Hill and Gulf Mills played in the Revolutionary War on December 13th through 19th, 1777. My mom was right when she talked about George Washington and Rebel Hill. We lived and still owned, well, we did. <laughs> we lived on historic ground. I'm proud of our history and I hope that others are too. For years, on December 19th, I have gone to Valley Forge National Park to a program and reenactment commemorating Washington and his Army's march into Valley Forge. Maybe one year we can do a program and reenactment of Washington and his Army's march into Rebel Hill and Gulf Mills. Maybe at the community center on Rebel Hill. This proud history is what started me on my path to write my novel, Becoming Valley Forge. I'll read the description. But if you have any more stories about Rebel Hill and Golf Mills or, or any artifacts, please get in touch with me at svance at theelevatorgroup.com. That's svance at theelevatorgroup.com. You can read more about Becoming Valley Forge and Six Days in December at my website, my publishing company's website, www.theelevatorgroup.com, www.theelevatorgroup.com. So here's a description of Becoming Valley Forge. This epic historical novel shows how the lives of ordinary men and women who lived in the shadow of Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, were changed forever during the Philadelphia campaign in mid-1777 when the Revolutionary War battles came to their doorsteps, leading them and their loved ones to Valley Forge from winter 1777 through summer 1778. James, a former slave, lives as a blacksmith on Rebel Hill and Golf Mills with his patriot friend, Daniel. Daniel is reluctant to volunteer for the army because he supports his mother and sister. James questions the sincerity of patriots who fight for freedom when so many African-Americans are still slaves. But the Continental Army's occupation of Rebel Hill in early December uproots their plans. Orlin Roberts, a Paoli farmer, leads a local patriot spy network with the help of his wife, Teeny, daughter, Betsy, and brother Norman, who owns a local tavern. As soon as they come of age, the Roberts boys, Fred and Alan, enlist in the Continental Army under the command of their neighbor, General Anthony Wayne, which puts them in the thick of the Philadelphia campaign battles. The family outcast, Connie, who runs a brothel in Philadelphia that services many British officers there during their occupation of the city, views the presence of both the Redcoats and the Patriots in the area as just another challenge that she has to conquer to survive, 
until a series of events causes her to put family ties above all else. Their paths converge, along with many other peoples at Valley Forge, where General George Washington's Continental Army, a young nation, and the fascinating characters in the book are forced to confront the reality and aftermath of war, revolution, and freedom as they grow and become the meaning of Valley Forge. So that ends this episode. I hope you'll listen to other episodes in this Becoming Valley Forge podcast. I've enjoyed doing the Six Days in December uh, episodes and kind of encouraged me to do some more. So check this spot and I'll be advertising all my podcasts just like I've advertised the Six Days in December series. So peace and thank you for listening. Thank you.